Welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, it's Wednesday, February the 8th, 2023, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today, Dr. Rick and I are joined by a dear friend, someone that we look up to, and someone for sure that is making a difference in our country, but especially in the pro-life space, and that is Allison Sintemfante. And we are so grateful to have her, and it's, it's not a whole lot on the Defender podcast that we have somebody that's even a bigger deal than Dr. Rick. So I know most of you listen to this podcast because of the infamous, venerable Dr. Rick, but hey, today you've got someone on here bigger even than Dr. Rick. And so we're so grateful uh, to have Allison to talk to her about pro-life advocacy, uh, how you can do that as a busy mom, how you can like, how you can do that in your everyday life, why you don't have to be someone that's been on Fox News or ABC or NPR, but how it starts in our communities. And so uh, someone that's so passionate about this, we're so grateful to have Allison on. Uh, before we bring her on, I want to let you know who she is. So she's founder of Sintamante Strategies, uh, a Huntsville, Alabama, LLC-based uh, consulting firm. She's a child advocacy innovator. She's an in-demand public speaker, activist, and writer with over 10 years of experience speaking on abortion, marriage, human dignity, and religious freedom. Uh, on a personal level, uh, I, I want you to know too, Allison's father was uh, in foster care and adopted, and so this is a personal thing for her to advocate on behalf of life and marriage, human dignity. She's been featured on Fox News, ABC, NPR, CBN, uh, and pretty much every national, international uh, media outlet. Her work and expert perspective has been published in Yahoo News, Business Insider, BuzzFeed, National Review Online, Fox News, World Magazine, Red Alert Politics, The Federalist, and so many more. She's most recently served as Director of External Affairs at Live Action, uh, as well as serving as the Director of Alliance Defending Freedoms, uh, Alliance Relations, a global legal organization committed to protecting religious freedom, free speech, marriage, family, parental rights, and the sanctity of life. So she started her work in Washington, D.C. as Communications Director at Concerned Women for America, a friend of ours, the nation's largest public policy women's organization. And she was named to Red Alert Politics 30 Under 30 in Christianity Today's Reader's Choice 33 Under 33. Dr. Rick, I know you and I just one day hope to make the 100 under 100. Um, so we're so grateful to have Allison on. And even before we bring her and Dr. Rick on, I do want to remind you about our counseling program. Uh, the relationship between a mom and a dad impact every aspect of the family. A strong marriage in Christ is the core of a healthy family. If there are areas of your marriage that you would like to see strengthened, or counseling services are here for you. So you can visit lifelinechild.org backslash counseling dash services. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash counseling dash services. Or as always, see those show notes for more details, especially if you didn't just write down that super long uh, link. So, uh, you know, people look forward to this time when Dr. Rick gets to actually speak, the venerable Dr. Rick, the infamous Dr. Rick, the one that people stand in line for his autograph for. But Dr. Rick, you're being upstaged today, brother. And Allison, I am just exhausted listening to your bio. When, like, Me too. We need to talk yeah. about <laughs> rest and sleep and like when that happened and how 
But um, seriously, very, very glad to, to have you on the podcast. And and I think the, you know, it's been fun over uh, these many months, the last uh, couple of years, getting to know you and and getting to have an opportunity to be able to to work with you on some some pretty exciting things. And um, and and I think, you know, even even kind of thinking back and and a little bit of your story in college of, you know, just sort of being captivated by um, the the pro-life agenda in, in the way that, that you were and the way that God kind of used and orchestrated circumstances. I'd love for, for the folks that, that don't know as much about your story. Um, if you could just kind of jump in and, and talk about how God kind of grasped your heart and, and why pro-life issues are, are so central to the, to the voice and the ministry that he's given you. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Rick, and thank you, Herbie. And I, uh, listen, I'm in the presence of giants. I, you guys have just been creating and building such amazing programs and building up people, and you're doing that to me, which is so nice. But um, I know my place, and, and I just thank you guys for what you're doing. And as you read off my long, ridiculous bio, I thought, man, that feels like ages ago now because that was before kids. So that felt, that feels like I was in a different lifetime, but God has been so good to just show me the next immediate step um, of obedience. And um, I do think some of that started in college. Like you talk about Dr. Rick, I um, was just unaware of how um, connected my family was to the issue of abortion, the issue of unexpected unplanned pregnancies. Um, until we invited Norma McCorvey of Roe v. Wade to mm. come to Liberty University and speak. And I, I was working on that. And through that, found out about my own dad's um, history, how he was abandoned as a child, actually in a hotel room by his mom and raised by charities and then in foster care. And also um, his own experience with um, later in life, having been a part of an, an abortion and the forgiveness he asked for. And I just from that moment forward, I just really saw that this issue for me, and I hate to even call it an issue, that this, this, that abortion life, the beauty of life was under attack on so many angles, not just on women, but also on men. And I just tried to take the next step of obedience and use my voice for good. And I don't think I'm the most qualified or the most competent, but I try and put myself in a place where I can learn and then just be brave. And so um, in D.C., you know, I moved there right in my senior year of college and just kind of it is is being 20 and thinking you can do anything (laughs) and then having the energy to do it and just being willing to be brave for Christ and saying, like, this is right and wrong. This is a black and white issue for me. And I I think that's a a benefit as a Christian. We can just walk into things and go, this is right. And I know it. And I'm going to do everything I can. To, to show others that. So um, yeah, if now I'm here. I have two kids and I'm consulting and working on great projects with great people that I love and figuring out some of that. How do I stay active, actually supporting women and families in that? So it's been really, it's been really fun. You know, Allison, I, I think probably most people have watched you over the last decade plus advocate for life. And, and one of the things that we love about you and the reason that we wanted to join Centifante Strategies and have you come help us is because of your passion, biblical clarity, um, and just outspoken voice. And, you know, last two weeks ago, we, you know, uh, came together in the March for Life 
it would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. I guess it still was, but uh, by God's grace, Roe v. Wade is no longer the judicial uh, forced law of the land. But, you know, since the Dobbs decision in June, pro-life advocacy has changed a bit. Um, talk about how you've seen it change and and just how, what are ways it has changed? Yeah, great, great question. Um, and so neat that we get to kind of commemorate Roe v. Wade and the day it was overturned. I almost posted about it, but you know, I was just like, it was early morning and we found out and we were all, I was like in my kitchen. I remember recording the moment that the case was coming down. I looked back and I thought I should put the makeup on, man. That was really early. And I don't know if I want to share it, but I think we'll all remember that day where we were when Roe v. Wade was overturned. I mean, for those in the pro-life movement, that is what we've been working on from like a legal side and advocacy and, and making people understand it. Then it's overturned and we're all like, okay, what do we do now? And I think we all sensed, all right, what we got in Dobbs was not perfect. It didn't create a perfect protection for children. It didn't rightfully write in that every person has the right to life at the moment of conception. If it did that, it would have been a different scenario. But instead we got back to the States and, and we've seen this great pivot where pro-life um, agencies, institutions, and pro-life people have had to say, okay, what is going on in my state? How can I affect change there? And am I okay with this? Do I need to, even some people are voting with their feet, as you guys know, Dr. Rick and Herbie, moving out of states like California, New York, where they just feel like their tax dollars are going towards creating these states that just honor and glorify and uphold abortion, make it easier to abort your child than to choose life, offer less support there to choose life. Um, and so I think for many, uh, we knew like, of course, this is what we do. And I think it took some of the, the pro-life movement to catch up and go, okay, guys, give us our marching orders. What do we do now? And you're seeing, I think the positive churches eyes opened to realizing this is right in their own backyard. Um, it's women inside the church, not just outside. Um, another great thing is I'm seeing a lot of college students and young people, the overturning of Roe made them realize that they couldn't hide behind this great legal case and say, look, it's just the law of the land, you know, the woman's choice. Some of that narrative was beaten back by Roe being overturned. Politicians and even just, you know, common college students had to go, okay, wait, what, where am I living? What state, what can I do and can't do? Why is that? Um, what is this whole debate about? And it, it did reinvigorate that debate for so many. It still continues as we have, you have women on the left, um, and I just say women, I mean, men on the right, on the left too, but women on the left, particularly coming out and showing false images, guys, of what a pregnancy is saying, this is a baby at seven weeks. And it looks like, you know, the egg whites from your omelet. Well, that's not true. You know, this is what a baby looks like at 12 weeks. And it looks like tissue paper crumpled up and there's nothing there. that is not true. And so um, we're continuing to have to fight back against the lies of pro-abortion, a pro-abortion media that refuses to show life in the room, refuses to tell the stories of abortion regret and refuses to share the stories of women who have chosen life amidst hard circumstances, you know, chosen to help um, foster families, to help uh, maybe they chose to create an adoption plan and that's been a beautiful option for them. I think the closest we saw that bright light was, you know, the big old Tim Tebow Super Bowl commercial of years past where you know, Pam Tebow and Tim Tebow talked about 
her choosing life. That was probably the biggest one I've seen. And what was that 10 years ago now? So um, we've got our work laid out for us, but I think it, it's reinvigorated this state conversation and had to go from this macro level to a micro level. Yeah, Allison, you know, I think I think that's one of the things. It, it's funny, we, you know, we sort of sat around here internally um, as, as we were anticipating the Dobbs decision that um, we didn't want to be like a dog that caught a car. Right. Like we, mm-hmm. we wanted to be in a position where where we were thinking forward. And but yet, if, if I'm really honest, I think as as I've traveled around, as I've continued to talk to people, um, I do think there's a little bit of a spirit of people being confused about, you know, kind of what to do next. People kind of feeling like and, and maybe even the ways that it was talked about in you know, in some Christian circles and in some pro-life circles, it was like the wars won and, and there was, there was such an emphasis on the celebration of Dobbs, but not really, um, not really kind of thinking forward about the things that you're, you know, that you're talking about. And I, I just wonder like, what can we do productively or how can we step in to, um, to see that sense of engagement and urgency um, across the the pro life spectrum, in the midst of what's a really complex and 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 really much greater challenge than we faced, um, you know, pre row. Yeah, it's a great question, and I sense that too. I think I think in many ways we did catch the car, to use your analogy, and then we also realized that for so many. And this was a realization for me, a wake up call for so many. They were willing to look at the life of a child. They were willing to look at the real picture. They were willing to see the resources we were offering. And they still said, I don't care. I don't care. I, I'm pro-abortion through and through. And I think that also will put you back on your heels. And anybody who's been in those conversations online or in person, it's really tough. When you can show the life of, of the child a heartbeat, a fetal image, prenatal, I mean, it makes me kind of sick to my stomach. Think about, but you can show all of these things. You can then say, we've got all of these pregnancy research centers that are ready to help you in your pregnancy and after. We've got all these families that are ready to adopt, you know, all of these things. And you're facing a, such a blinded, ignorant, um, I don't even know if ignorance is the right word because we're trying to educate them. They're... The only way I can describe it is in the Bible when there's a veil and there's just this veil and you can show them the whole thing and walk them through it. And they still say, I don't care. I have, I have the right to end this child's life. And they'll slip up and they'll say that there was just a legislator. I think it was in, I forget. I, I don't know if you saw the video, but she was saying, you know, we should have the right to kill our child. And everybody else on the legislation legislature looked at her like, we don't say kill. And she's like, but she said it. And you've got people just admitting that that's the right. So it's now more about bodily autonomy. It's never, it's not safe, legal, rare. It's really hard to have that debate. So that was also something I think that put us back on our heels as a movement. Like, okay, we overturned Roe. We've got the images, we've got all the support and there's still going to be people that say they're going to do it. So that's why I think a lot of people have realized this is a spiritual battle. I mean, this is very much a legal activist support network battle but some of this is spiritual because people are in really dark spots of what they're willing to do um, and say um, there's a whole thread 
of joking about like babies and, and how they look like gummy bears. And like, it's like weird. So I think that was a big call to me. It instilled, I need to be praying more that God would open the eyes of these people um, that are just in a dark spot and to kind of pull the plane up because that's how dark we've gone and how down we've gone. I think part of the solution is not letting ourselves tire from doing well, doing good. We know that some of these tactics do still work. Even thinking of Norma McCorvey, who I just mentioned before, came to, to, to Liberty University. She was the Roe in Roe v. Wade. Her case was used to legalize abortion of 60 million children. She carried that her whole life. I mean, when she came to talk of liberty, she was pro-life. As, uh, she's now passed away. But the fact that God can change anyone is encouraging to me. Like you see that in the Bible, Saul to Paul. You see it in Norma McCorvey, who whose own name and pregnancy was used to end children's life. And she placed her child for adoption and it became a pro-life advocate. I've seen it on the streets when I've gone and shown videos of prenatal development to uh, people in New York City, Times Square and not get punched in the face. But instead people say, I I get it. I'm changing my mind. It's still possible. So to not um, tire in doing good, but and to realize that people can change but also that we may, as a movement, need to change our tactics, may need to innovate. We need to get way more creative in the way that we're reaching the next generation. Um, I'm so inspired when I jump online and I see that there are young people creating awesome content. I try and do it. I don't even feel that young anymore, but I try and do it of like content that's compelling and um, winsome and logical. I mean, one of the one of the most interesting uh, accounts that I follow. Um, I think it's like secularist for life. She does this kind of back and forth where she's talking to someone about abortion and she refutes it without, you know, even without the religious aspect. That's cool. That kind of stuff is, I think, really compelling to the next generation who's living on their phone right now. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm drawn even this week in, in our Bible study with our staff, we were, we were talking about Romans 1. You know, and and that whole that whole idea of you know being being given over to you know to a debased mind, and, I, and what Paul says, where he talks about doing what not ought what ought not to be done, and and I think I love the fact that you that that it's not either or, it's both and. Um, we do need to be innovative. We do need to you know to press in with different sorts of messages coming in different ways to people. But but we can't forget to plead before the Father that this is a spiritual battle, and and spiritual blindness isn't isn't you know counteracted because because we have a crafty argument. It's because the Spirit does something, and because God does something that we can't, and mm-hmm. uh, and and He acts, and and that it's that that we we shouldn't fall guilty to either one. You know, we we got to be on our faces before God and and pleading. Um, for the hearts and minds of people, but then also um, we, we like, we really need to continue to press in and, and be incredibly entrepreneurial and, you know, and, and forward thinking in the way that, you know, that we try to approach people. And, and it's um, yeah, I, I think, I think the fact that it, and, and I think there's a, there's a great opportunity for, for a generation that's emerging to, to take this issue and to begin to run with it in that way and to do things that, I mean, you know, certainly you and I are separated by a generation or two, but like the generation coming behind that they, they have a, 
a way of approaching, have a technological ability, have a way of seeing the world that's something none of us are familiar with. And, and so investing in, in young people to help them to, to really dig in and, and to feel that sense of urgency, I think is really important. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of young women, particularly waking up to the lies that they've been sold. I mean, the benefit of having, you know, the craziness of the last couple of years is we're all like questioning everything. And we all have all this research. We have all this time. And through this time, I think women particularly have realized that this promotion of, you know, sexual promiscuity, the promotion of um, things like unlimited access to birth control and suppressing everything that makes you a female and people just not even being able to define what a woman is and what is a female. I mean, it brought out something in women that's good. And it's not just the mama bears. It's younger than me. It's like the 22, 23 year old. There's this underground movement. And I wouldn't even say it's faith-based. It's kind of like this cool rebellion base. That's like, guys, our food is junk. The birth control is junk. You know, like you got to do your research. Like don't trust the powers that be. And that's, really, I think really good for the pro-life movement because they're realizing you can't count on the big powers, right? Like you think it big pharma, big tobacco, all of that, there's campaigns to kind of expose what they've done. But now there's like this whole understanding that I would call like big feminist, big feminism it has hurt women. We've got a generation of young girls who were prescribed birth control very soon, maybe for painful periods or, you know, acne or whatever. And you guys can hang your dads, you get this. And now 10 years later, they can't get pregnant. They can't have what they've wanted and they've dreamed about. And no one told them that. So something like informed consent is really compelling to a young woman because she did not receive informed consent when that started when she was 13, 14. In the same way, I've seen really cool conversations happen around informed consent when I say, hey, look, you might be pro-choice. But do you understand that when a woman is sitting down inside of an abortion clinic, she is not given informed consent. She's not given information about the life of this child, what the, the, how far along she is, what the baby looks like. She's not often shown the ultrasound. She's not shown, you know, maybe some of the side effects of abortion, the increased rates of depression, uh, suicide, alcoholism, the trauma of something like a dentist's office visit in her future, which many abortion um, uh, people who have had abortion talk about. She's not shown the adoptive families that would love to help adopt. She, that's not informed consent. And I've seen people go, yeah, that's actually really valid. Like I would want someone to be presented all of these things um, before making that decision. In schools, we don't talk about all of what happens. Sex ed doesn't cover what adoption looks like, what abortion looks like, and what pregnancy and parenting looks like, as it should. It just talks about that. So I'm encouraged that there's a lot of people now, I would say men and women alike, but I'm particularly seeing these mama bears go, there's a lot we haven't been told, let's look into it. And I'd say the 20 somethings are really watching right now and looking for leaders. They're looking for people that are willing to be transparent about that stuff. And anytime I've spoken about it, been very transparent, um, I'm, I've received way more positive reaction than negative. And so I say that to anyone listening, if you are any stage, if you are young or old, in the middle, wherever, whatever you're going through, your transparency about these issues, about your heart, um, what you care about, I think you'll receive way more positive input than negative.
And that's what we always fear, right? That negative pushback. But um, there are so many that are silent. They're they're supportive, but silent. And you guys know that they're, they, they believe everything we believe, but they're more silent. And so if you have a voice and you want to use it, I think it's encouraging because it's, it's not out there in the public um, mainstream enough. Yeah. I mean, kind of hitting on that, Allison, you know, we say that, but how, how would you encourage maybe a young, another young mom like yourself who is just trying to, trying to continue to keep their kids alive, you know, keep mm-hmm. them fed, keep the house running. Uh, and, and maybe even folks that, that don't have a platform uh, that, that they see as yeah. big, how would you encourage folks to stay active and to get engaged in advocacy, even from midtown America, small town America? Yeah. Great question. And I totally feel that I uh, have to ask for forgiveness for ever questioning what the heck moms were so busy doing when I was single in DC running around. And now I go, I get it. I don't even have time, but I feel like I've learned, I've learned a little bit of how to support for like ministries without feeling like I have to maybe take it all on myself. So if a great example would be you guys um, partner with embrace grace, a great group Um, here in Huntsville, they are helping moms who have uh, chosen life. And they do this curriculum with them and weekly meetings. They do a baby shower. Well, thankfully, a great woman here started that. Another mom started it, uh, an Embrace Grace group. And I've just decided to take a small portion of that. And I have decided to help make sure there's hot meals at every meeting. Because for some of these women, they're taking the bus. They're coming in from afar. This is an opportunity for a hot, nutritious meal for them and their baby. Um And that's what I can do. I can make it with grace. I can integrate my toddler into it. We can drop it off. And I can set that as an example to my daughters of we're supporting these mamas. And all I tell her, she's two and a half is I'm going to go help some moms and they love their babies and we should love them too. And that's it. And I would say for me to realize like, Hey, you might not get to do everything you want to do in this season in terms of like the ministry work, but we can support those who are doing it. Um, and looking for opportunities to integrate the girls and my kids into that. Um, you know, when I go to work, I don't, I try not to say like, I have to get on this call. You need to be quiet. I explain to my little ones, like, Hey, I am working, um, with Lifeline, this group that helps mamas and daddies with their babies and their families. Can, can you let me go jump on this call? We're going to figure out this really cool book for them to read. And she's like, uh-huh. and she's like two and a half and she gets it. You know, there's moments I feel like I could easily miss out on teaching if I'm not careful, if I fall into that, like, work over family thing. Um, So for any mom or dad listening, I would say look around you in your community and at your church about who is leading. If there's not, maybe you need to step into that. Maybe you need to consider volunteering at your pregnancy resource center or coordinating using your Bible study, even like you could use something you're already doing small group, Bible study, family dinners as opportunities to inform, educate, pray for. I mean, how beautiful would it be if every small group in every church across the country decided we're going to just start praying for children in foster care and what we could be doing to support them. Well, you know, there's so much we could, could do. You can walk through amazing books. I mean, I know there's some great authors on this call. 
who have written books, you know, you guys have done the work um, and do a book study and, and text about it. And so, um, but I think ultimately, even if it's not adding any to your, anything to your plate, being mindful of the conversations your kids are hearing and knowing that they are, I'm learning this in new motherhood with a two and a half year and nine month old, they're always listening. And I realized that when I invited a friend over, I said, Angela's coming, she's pregnant. I said, I want you to think of a question to ask Angela when she comes for dinner tonight. And Grace said, I want to ask to touch her belly and see the baby. And I thought from the mouth of babe, like she knows there's a baby there, you know, and, and we're just creating a place where we're going to come around women. We're going to be sweet on them. Um, we even have a book where I noticed in the book, it's not even a Christian pro-life book, but the, it's about kindness. And he got up because there's a pregnant woman standing there. And she said, what's that mom? And I said, well, he gave her the seat because she's pregnant and it's kind of hard and you need to sit down. And she, okay. You know, just looking for those moments. Don't add anything to your plate, busy mom. If you're stressed, just know you have the opportunity to create a culture of life in your home and to be the CEO of that culture and say, Hey, look, this is what we're going to do. This teenager down the street, newly pregnant. We're going to try and throw a baby shower. Um, this family is a foster care family. They just adopted. We're going to go over and play basketball with them or take the kids for a day or, um, and you mentioned this. I was in a foster care family in the sense that my dad grew up in foster care. We adopted foster care boys. It was wild. It was not easy. And I wish more people came around and said, how can we help? What can we do? We brought you guys dinner. You have three girls and now two foster care boys. Hey, I know how, what boys should be doing. You know, <laughs> let me take them out and burn some energy. So just think of small ways that you can support each other. And I think if we if we take care of our circles, like our family and those in our neighborhood, those concentric circles really touch. And all of a sudden, we've really taken care of a lot of people. So, Allison, I'm, I'm going to kind of dig in for just a quick second on something you, you were talking about, talking to your daughter about, um, like, some of the things you're doing. And you alluded to in the middle of that a book, right? And so one of the fun things that we've had a chance to work on um, here over the last, you know, last year or so is, is the book and a thing for churches to be able to connect with moms that are, you know, that are in unplanned pregnancies. And so um, just real quick, um, kind of throw out and, and help folks understand maybe a little bit about what that is and um, talk about kind of what's on the horizon as we, as we get ready to release that. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm not going to go real quick because I love this project. I'm so proud of it. I am so excited for the opportunity for churches to really feel equipped to partner with women and uh, those, again, those leaders in their communities already doing the hard work like Pregnancy Resource Center directors. Um, so this is called Worthy. It is a mentorship program that Lifeline has built out to allow and equip churches, encourage them to come alongside women in their community, really just create disciples. That's what we're called to do, right? Every pastor called to, to create disciples for Christ. So are we as believers. And we know that women in unexpected pregnancies, when polled, say that if they had someone to walk alongside them, even just one, they would choose life. They want to, that it's their circumstances that are maybe pushing them towards ending the life of that child. And so we as the church, 
being called to care for each other, all of our humanity, we are called to take care of these women and their families. And so Lifeline being an equipping ministry has said, look, okay, we know what we can do here. And so I've gotten to work with some of your team on this and we're continuing to work on it. Um, We've built out a mentor training program. We want to train mentors at churches to really bring worthy to your church. Be a worthy church, meaning that your church is ready to stand in the gap and receive women that are ready for more discipleship. We have this great network of pregnancy resource centers and the movement worked really hard to build that out. They're incredible. Some of them are super high tech and medical, but guess what? They're not called to create disciples for Christ. The church is. Those PRCs are doing an awesome job at getting them prenatal care and counseling and ultrasounds and diapers and parenting classes and gifting and baby showers. That is what they're meant to do. But what we want to make sure is that when a girl goes in, a woman goes in and she says, look, I'm really struggling with a past abortion I had. Do you know anyone that I can talk to? That that staffer knows that there is a worthy coordinator at a local church that they can immediately connect her to. She's a gospel-believing, Bible-believing woman that is ready to dedicate at least 10 weeks, if not more, to walking weekly with her through the booklet, through her own um, beautifully designed booklet. It's really cool and trendy, and I love the look of it. It's going to be something you want to like grab a cup of coffee and sit with her and go through. I'm going to talk about things like identity and value and relationships, some trauma that you might have experienced. And how God can use it all for good and for his glory. So at this point, we are just looking for people that are interested in hearing more information in the future um, about potentially being the worthy coordinator at their church, being trained to be a mentor and also training others and connecting their pastor. And we're going to need you to get your pastor on board here to say, look, yeah, we agree with this vision and we are going to support and sustain this ministry as a worthy church. And so if you're interested in that and you're listening, go on to Lifeline's Worthy website. um, And when this launches, you will be the first to get that digital kit ready to walk you through everything you need to do. And and we're really, really excited. Also, if you're a Pregnancy Resource Center staffer or director, I also encourage you to reach out so that we know you're interested in helping us uh, connect mentees and mentors um, for the vast future ahead. So that is the Worthy program. And I'm really excited about it. And Thank you guys for inviting me in to help with it because I think this is just um, blue ocean. It's open territory and we stand with a, a bunch of wonderful allies who are doing similar work. But I just think this is women caring for women, equipping the church to do something beautiful in a post row and post jobs world. You know, Allison, as, as we kind of close to come to a close here, I, I just would love for you to end with kind of now that we're on the other side of the Dobbs decision. And and we know that in some ways in the world we live in, especially with the administration we're living with now, there are constant uh, inroads to try to uh, codify Roe uh, from 1973. But right now, while we're living in this time, what's the most important life issue in the way that the church can honor and protect life? I think the most important thing that any church can do right now is to signal that they know what time it is 
that they understand no matter what laws say that we are called to care for every single woman, man, and child. And that this church and this congregation will do everything we can to support men, women, and children. And so I think connecting with Lifeline is something I think every church should do, but to seriously, as a leadership team, like if you're in a place of leadership, you run a small group, just to think right now, okay, there's a lot of issues out there. Like you said, there's a lot going on. What can we do to care for the one? Think about, you know, Jesus' example. Like he sometimes got away and prayed to his heavenly father and came back into the mix. And sometimes we as leadership have to do that. All right, let me step away and figure out what our best use of time and resources is. Do that because children are still being lost to the abortion clinics. Women and families are still being stuck in cycles of abuse and hurt and pain because they haven't healed. Families are feeling disconnected from each other as they take on new challenges, whether that be children with special needs or fostering. Um, and women are creating adoption plans and, and want to feel supported in that and know that they have a church family um, that's coming around them. So I would say this to me, obviously I have a bias, but I think this is Genesis one issues. This is, you know, there's man and woman and go forth and, and multiply. This is Genesis one that's under attack of what it means to be a man, what it needs to be a woman and to be a family and to um, follow the way God ordered the world. And so if we can get this right, I think a lot of things are going to be better in the future. And I know that that's Lifeline's mission too, is support families, support women and children. So I, that's what I think is the most important right now is you just make sure you're taking care of the one. Go figure it out. I've even had to do this myself. Maybe it's that, you know, maybe it's the three girls in my neighborhood who are in high school. Do they know about my youth group? Am I offering to take them? I can't reach every high school girl. I wouldn't even know what to say, but those three, they're right here. They should know and invite them and, and then invite them again when they say no. And then see how they're doing when the boyfriend, you know, like there's, make sure you're taking care of someone I think is a huge, is a huge opportunity to be pro-life in what you're doing. Um, and just going back to the basics of discipleship, caring about others and looking out for others too. So Allison, you are a great friend and uh, and somebody that we're really thankful that the Lord has given us an opportunity to be able to minister alongside. And we could continue this conversation and go forever, but we're going to we're going to put a period there and we're going to stop because uh, we want to come back and do this again and continue. But thank you so much. Thank you for um, the way that the Lord's used you to help to bring worthy to to be. Um, thank you for sharing your heart with us and and just, um, you know, thank you for uh, for continuing to to challenge the church about, you know, ways that we can get engaged in the life of the one. Um, and so if uh, if you're out there uh, and are looking for ways that you want to engage and want to want to engage in the lives of uh, unborn children and in the lives of their parents, Lifeline would love to help. So. Uh, come find us at lifelinechild.org. Uh, lots of ways that we can get you plugged into those ministries and ways that we can give you an opportunity um, to be able to minister to the one. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you again here next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.